Good morning, CIB. Come on over. Come on over. My name is Matt. I'm back covering for Victor again. Um, something you can be praying for. A lot of the ministry team for Christian Challenge is out with COVID right now, including Victor. So that's why I'm back. So just include them in your prayers that they will recover quickly and effectively and get back to doing what we need to do. All right. Uh, we got some good songs for you this morning. It should be fun. Cool. Go ahead and uh, stand and worship with us. Oh, don't lose heart, oh, my soul, oh, my soul. Don't give up, there is hope, there is always hope. And there is peace in the storm, in the storm. Shout of praise.
next song we're just going to sing about God's goodness. Just thank him, thank him for this beautiful morning that we have. For the life that he gives us, the, the purpose that he gives us.
Thanks, Matt. Welcome, everybody. Whether you're uh, with us here online or in person, we're glad that you joined us this morning for, for church. Um, I wanted to let you guys know about some things, uh, some announcements in church life and some things that have been going on this morning. I help lead the First Impressions team here at Church in the Valley. And so I just wanted to welcome you all if I didn't get to say hi to you this morning. And for those of you that are guests, if you're a first time or out of town or second time guest, um, over at the guest resource table, there's some things for you. One is a book called How Good is Good Enough? And you're welcome to grab a copy of that for yourself or for a family member or for a friend. Um, that's totally free. It's just our way of thanking you for, for joining us this morning. Um, inside of the program that you should have received when you came in, there's a connection card. If you're, if you're online, you can also access that digitally on our website. Uh, but if you would like to fill one of those out this morning, that'd really be a help to us. Uh, and if you're doing it on paper, you can just drop it in one of the baskets that are around here this morning, or you can just fill it out digitally. But if you wouldn't mind, let us know if you're a regular tender member, just updating any information you have on that. And on the back, you can fill out like prayer requests or things you would like more information about. We would love to get that to you. And then if you're a guest with us, just fill out as much of that card as you feel comfortable sharing. And we'd love to know kind of how you heard about Church in the Valley. And so that would be a help to us. Um, one to also let you know too, if you have a pen and you're filling out things digitally, uh, our pen supply is running out. And so if you guys, uh, and I know they're quality pens. I have many of them at home myself that I need to return. But if you guys wouldn't mind at the end of service too, just dropping those in the baskets along with your connection card, that'd really be a help to us uh, because, you know, there's a shortage of everything in our country today, including pens. Um, and so we really need to have more of those. Um, also, in the basket on the table to my left, uh, there's also a donation um, or offering basket that you can put. If you're going to give in person this morning, you can put it in that one. That'd be a help to us. Or you can also give online if you're wanting to do that. I wanted to also let you know about a couple things about the update on the Christmas offering. Um, if you, if I could go down to that. There we go. So as you guys have been coming around, you know that we've been doing a special Christmas offering. We do this each year. And this year we set a goal to give to both local and global ministries um, up to $20,000. That's kind of what the goal we're shooting and praying for. And we're still a couple weeks out. We're collecting through the 31st of January, but we've already like passed our goal. So that's awesome. Congratulations, guys. Way to, way to give generously. So we've given 22000 uh, or we've collected $22,209 so far. And if, if we want to do more, that's, that's amazing. So we have a couple more weeks. If you're thinking, I haven't gotten to do that yet, or you know, I'd like to give more, you can do that up through the end of January. And like I said, about half of that is going to go to different local ministries that you can see uh, listed here as well, as well as globally. We're going to have about 50% of that as well to different ministries. And then on top of that, one of the things that we've been talking about is uh, CIV is in a financial place right now that we're going to match whatever comes in for the Christmas offering and give that extra um, or the matching of that to our sister church, CIV Ontario Ranch, to be able to help them renovate a building that they're going to be meeting in for church now, which is really awesome that they're going to be able to do that after 30 plus years of, you know, set up and tear it down every single week. Um, so, so far we're going to match $22,209, but if more comes in, we'll have more to match. So, you know, go ahead, keep, keep raising the amount. So, um, so that's a little bit about the Christmas offering and what's going on there. Um, let me pray for us. And then we're going to, uh, worship a little more and get to hear John speak. So father, thank you so much for just the generosity of everybody in this church and, um, God, we know that uh, for, for some people, that was not hard to do. And for some people, uh, where they're at and just financially and other things going on, uh, that was a real stretch. And so 
but really thank you for the way that you take care of and provide for us uh, each individually. And um, God, we can never outgive uh, your kindness to us and the way you take care of us. And so I pray that these would be a real blessing to the different ministries that we're giving to. Pray that just this morning, you would really be just honored by um, not only the words of our mouths, but really the meditations of our hearts. And you'd really speak to us through John, help us to really apply what we're learning today. In Jesus' name, amen.
so much, God. We're just so grateful that you were willing to come and save us and pull us out of every situation. You're our defender. You're our protector. Every season, every battle, you've got us. We love it. We love you. Amen. Let's welcome up, John. Right. Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Sunday. We're going to be opening up Book of Romans, Chapter 8, following on from last week. I just want to tell us a little story little uh, story, a sad story. A friend of mine and his wife uh, had uh, four young children and uh, just really upstanding, godly Christian family. A few, uh, probably just, just over a year ago, uh, he and his wife were uh, driving in their hometown and uh, just pulled out onto the main road. But unfortunately, at the same time that a uh, some street racer racers were having were, two cars were racing each other at night down the main down this road at very high speed, smashed into the car of of, our, of my friend and his wife, and uh, and they were killed, four, leaving four young children behind. Just really a terrible, terrible event. And uh, certainly, you know, we can say, we can blame those, those loudish drivers, you know, we can do all that. But it's, it's, a, uh, it's one of those things that's almost incomprehensible. Uh, how, how can such a thing happen? Sweet, godly family leaving four young children behind without their parents. One of the things that, that Romans 8 meditates on or discusses is, you know, how do we cope with and think about suffering in the world? It's one of those key issues uh, that we face as and as we try to share the gospel uh, with other people. I mean, that's a, one of the major questions that every evangelist, every witness for Christ is going to be asked. Well, you know, if, if God is so good, uh, we've just been singing, what is that, how does that, match with experience that we have in life, things that have, have gone wrong with so often, even for good people. 
I don't know how your Christmas was uh, and the new year. I hope it was really wonderful and delightful. I know for our family, over half our family got COVID and uh, that kind of messed up our Christmas celebration. Uh, and, in, and in one case, extremely seriously, and uh, there's some things that have happened as a result of that that, that uh, we're not yet resolved. And so uh, it's, uh, it was a strange way to, to celebrate Christmas. But in all of this, in all of this suffering that and you, and I'm sure you've also experienced your own share of suffering, we got to rec remember some really, really important things. And, the, and the, one of those biggest things is that, that we do have hope. We do have hope. Last week, we looked at how the Holy Spirit and Christ together are God the Father's answer to the worldwide problem of sin. How it's Christ's death and resurrection that overcome the power of sin and the guilt of sin, and it's through the gift of the Spirit that we experience that power and that victory over sin in anticipation of when Jesus returns and everything is completely, completely brought to its full realization of what God already planned for it. The last verse we read last week from Romans 8.17, if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. And that was an interesting conclusion to a very positive passage of Scripture. We suddenly get this rather alarming statement uh, that we're supposed, that all that wonderful inheritance that we're looking forward to is dependent on some kind of suffering uh, with Christ. And, we th and that, of course, that leads to the question, what does that mean? And that's what Paul really goes on to explain in the rest of Romans 8. And he goes on to explain how, uh, why that happens and how we can understand it, how we can cope with it, how we can live through it, how we can go all the way to glory through suffering by the work of the Spirit. So we're in a series, this is the second part of a series, on, uh, on life in the Spirit, that is, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in the church, and in mission. And so what this passage is going to tell us as we read through it is that hope comes in the midst of suffering. We can have hope in the midst of our suffering of trouble. Hope, by the way, is not a wishful thinking, and I, I hope things get better. Hope, in a, in a biblical sense, is a positive, strong, confident expectation of something good that's going to happen. And it's a well-founded hope based on the Word of God, based on the promise of God, based on the character of God. And that kind of hope makes present suffering at least... capable of being endured and even worthwhile because of the what what Paul calls the glory that is to come hope is one of those most important themes in the book of Romans 
Uh, the main body of the teaching of the book of Romans finishes in the middle of chapter 15, Romans 15, 12 and 13. And this is how Paul finishes that main section, that main, the, the, the main teaching of Romans. He says, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even who, he who rises to rule the Gentiles or rule the nations, in him will the nations hope. That's talking about Jesus, of course, the son of David, son of God. And then verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you continue to trust, as you keep on believing, so that by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's Paul's vision of the Christian life. Abounding in hope by the power of the Spirit as we, and, and joy and peace as we carry on trusting the Lord But this passage is also going to tell us about why we suffer now. It turns out, as we're going to read in a moment, that we share in the suffering of the whole of creation. It's not just us, right? And the whole of creation is suffering in some way. But we do suffer, especially as followers of Jesus, and that's a reality all around the world. So suffering... With him, according to Romans 8, 17, suffering with Jesus, what does that mean? It means really two things. One, it means suffering as, with him as a human being. In other words, suffering with Jesus means suffering the way he suffered. What, well, how did he suffer? And of course, he suffered in one sense just as living the human life, going through the human experience of uh, pain and, and thirst and hunger and uh, and disappointment and letdown and, and all the things that you face just as a human. We know from our Christmas series that hunted down as a baby, had to, had to escape as a refugee down to, uh, or escape from persecution down to Egypt. Uh, so he suffered in a sense the way, because he lived a human life that we also are living but we also suffer with Jesus when we suffer, especially as his followers. We suffer for the truth. We suffer for the gospel. We suffer for uh, what we're standing up for, that is, for the name of Jesus. Because he suffered, we also, his followers, will suffer. Look, I'm saying this, of course, in sunny Southern California where I'm standing here and the police are not at the gates telling me to shut up, you know, and put, dragging me off to prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, and I fully recognize that, you know, whatever suffering I've been through is nothing by comparison to many believers around the world, many, maybe some of you who suffered far more than I ever had, you know. Uh, um, some Christians are martyred, you know, many Christians are martyred regularly every year for their faith. Uh, the worst that's happened to me is I've been water bombed, uh, you know, with b balloons or you know, shopping bags full of water thrown at me. That's the worst that's happened to me, basically. And uh, that's not quite the same as what a lot of believers suffer. Nevertheless, we recognize that there is a, a huge cost to being a Christian, but it's worth it. The cost of not following Jesus is far greater. Amen? There is an incredible cost to following Christ. The cost of not following Christ is by far a greater cost. So how do we make it through from the present suffering to glory? How do we get through this suffering period to glory? How do we get to the inheritance that's promised to us? And that's what this passage is 
going to discuss. So we'll just start by reading verse 18. Paul says, I consider, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. It's almost worth reading. In fact, I will read it again. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. The coming glory is far greater than the present suffering. The coming glory is far greater than any present suffering. So look, in some sense, this is talking about delayed blessing or delayed rewards, right? Delayed gratification, perhaps. You know, Christians are often accused of, of this kind of pie-in-the-sky mentality. You know, is it just pie-in-the-sky when you die, or is there any steak on the plate while you wait? Uh, look, Paul is writing this, and he knew what it was to suffer. Without spending too much time on this, you just have to read his letters in the, in the New Testament to discover he's been through more suffering than, you know, than pretty much all of us put together. You know, shipwrecks, imprisonments, whippings, hunger, just exposure, all sorts of horrible things happened to him. He's the one who's writing this, not as some theory, but as a reality of a suffering human being who has suffered for the truth and still going out to love those people who are causing that suffering and reach them with the gospel of Jesus. People are willing to suffer if they have hope, right? And in Romans, you know that, right? I mean, uh, some of the hardest working to people in our culture are Athletes, right? Professional athletes. They go through all kinds of pain. Why? Because of the gain. Because of the glory. Because of the honor. Or the money. Or whatever it is. They're willing to suffer all kinds of pain and discipline in order to get, you know, as we know, the, the NFL playoffs are starting today. Go Cowboys. And, uh, and so people are willing to suffer if they have hope. In Romans, suffering with Christ leads to hope. That's interesting, right? Hope is actually what gets us through suffering, but suffering in, the, in Romans is also what produces hope. That's a strange thing. But in chapter 5, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Right? When, you suffer, when you endure through suffering and you endure with Jesus, that, that creates for you an experience, if you like, of God's grace to you in the midst of trouble. And you get hope you can endure even more. Suffering with Christ actually produces hope because you realize he's there with you in the middle of it. Or that was in Romans 5. In Romans 15, similar idea. Romans 15, 4, whatever was written in former, idea, former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's a really, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? That endurance and suffering leads to hope. But, and of course, we know that hope helps endurance. So they hope that it's a, it's a virtuous circle, right? 
Hope helps us cope with suffering. The experience of suffering with Christ leads to further hope, and we keep enduring until Jesus returns. You see, humans were created to share God's glory. Now, what does all that mean? <laughs> That's really hard to say exactly what that means. But if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we discover in chapter 1 that men and women were created in the image of God for God's own purposes, to represent God in the world. He created people as a unique part of his creation, and they had a special role. And in Romans, there's this little trail of text through Romans that discuss this very idea. For example, in Romans 1.23, it talks about idolaters and people who resisted the truth uh, of, that's evident in creation, the truth of God's power and his divine nature that's evident in the things around us, the things that God has made, and they suppress that truth and they suppress the truth that's in their conscience and go on a downward spiral of selfishness and wickedness and sin. And Paul says in 123, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They, in other words, at one level, they're saying they're not worshiping God, they're worshiping things that God has made. But there's more than that. It suggests that they, God created us from the beginning to somehow share in the divine life, to share in his glory, to, to be drawn into his life. Romans 3.23, many of you will know this text, Romans 3.23, if you've ever been trained to share the gospel. And it's, uh, for all have sinned and what? Typically, uh, fall short of the glory of God, right? That's not, honestly, that's not a very good translation. The Greek word here, where, where translated fall short in most of your Bibles, doesn't really mean fall short. It just means lack. It's not like, you know, it, it, you see, fall short could give the idea that you're going for glory and you just nearly make it, but you don't quite. It's like that pole vaulter in the Olympics who runs up there, sticks the pole in the ground, hurdles into the sky 17 feet up, and just as they're about to get the gold medal, the, the heel of their shoe hits the bar, and they come down with no glory, right? They fell short of the glory. That's not what this passage su suggests. It's not that we're trying so hard to be righteous and good, we just we almost make it, but we don't. And so God says, you're out, man. It's not that we, we just fell short. It's that we lack it altogether. We lack, when we sin, we lack the glory altogether. That which God intended for humans, we have exchanged for idolatry and self-centeredness. We lack the glory that God wanted to share with us. We lack, if you like, or what God made us for by creating us in his image. 
And so we get then to the verse we just read from 8.17. We're going to be heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we, we, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's good news. He, he talks in chapter 9 about the riches of his glory, which he is sharing with his vessels of mercy. That's believers. He's pre prepared us beforehand for glory. Listen, this is your destiny if you have the Spirit, if you're a believer. And if you're not yet one, you can be one and share this same destiny. In fact, you can start today. Let's get to our next passage, Romans 8, 19 to 22. This is talking about the longing of creation. I want you to listen to this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Right? Remember verse 18? We just read it. The sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then he goes to explain some of this. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, this is a, a kind of figure of speech here. We call this personification. Creation here is personified as experiencing longing and groaning and, and pain and so on, right? So it's, it's kind of a figure of speech, uh, but it's very powerful. This is the recognition by the whole of creation, or in the whole of creation, that things are not like they ought to be. Things are not like they ought to be. Even creation is waiting for something better. You know, all the major world religions, most of them, and major intellectual political philosophies have some, some kind of future hope. A lot of it's you know, hope that will never be realized, but it's something that we kind of need as human beings, right? Like Marxism, communism has this hope that uh, the world is get, of progress, the world is getting better and better, and, uh, and, and at some point there's going to be this glorious future where we're all equal and, and where everybody's looking out for each other. Uh, yeah, Lenin's contribution to that was that we can make this happen by violent revolution. So thanks, Lenin. But uh, it was, it, it's, it's this, it's, a, it's actually a kind of mystical hope in the supernatural power of history to bring this end communist end goal to pass. That's, that's the, what they believe, that there's a power in history that makes, is going to happen. And, uh, of course, it didn't. 
we know that things are not like they ought to be, right? We long for something better. Grateful for another flyover in honor of your service today, meeting together. Now, I lived for uh, over 20 years in England as a missionary uh, there. And, uh, you know, my wife and I, Heidi and I, we just, we love England. We love the, with English people. We were there serving and reaching them in the name of the Lord. We love them. And they, they gave a lot to us. We learned a lot from them and, we, and, and gave a lot to us, all sorts of ways. Uh, they have some interesting characteristics. One of them is they love to complain. It's kind of a national sport. In fact, they're not happy unless there's something to complain about, right? It's one of those things, and especially the weather. Uh, they, that's why they don't get on very well in Southern California because it's always the same. You know, it just you just what do you? So, but it's one of those things. But you know the the human. The human capacity to complain is a very interesting thing because it tells you that humans think there should be that things aren't what they ought to be. It's a little sign, even a kind of negative sign, that tells you something about us that we're made for more than this, we're made for something better, that we think life could be better and should be better the capacity for hope and the capacity for complaint, if you like, for dissatisfaction is a, is a sign that we're put here by God for a purpose that is yet to be fully realized and yet to be fulfilled. Now, it says here the creation was subjected to futility. Uh, to emptiness. This really goes back to the Garden of Eden, the idea in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, whereas Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they sinned, they did the thing that God told them not to do, creation came under a curse. And creation then has been affected by human sin. How many of you know this is true? Even, even the natural world is not as it should be. I read about some storks in, the, in a Polish village went berserk. Storks are normally peaceful birds, you would have thought, right? That's, you know, we, we, we mythologize storks as bringing babies. They're kind of cute and things, right? These storks went berserk, killing chickens, ducks, and turkeys. Well, that's not how it ought to be. In Egypt, there was... Uh, rain, of course, you'd think rain would be good for Egypt because it's a, lot, a lot of it's desert. What happened when it rained in Egypt? Well, there was rain and, and even snow in the southern city of Egypt. What happened then? That drove the scorpions out of their holes. 450 people have been injured by scorpion stings. Three people have died. This just seems messed up to me. You know, when God made creation in Genesis 1, he talks about fruitfulness. They're going to be fruitful and everything, you know, 
They're going to multiply. They're going to be fruitful. They're going to be blessed. God blessed his creation. And yet, even human sin has even messed up creation itself. And yet, it was subjected to futility in hope. That's interesting. That's in God's own hope. Right? Who's hoping? Who was doing the hoping when God subjected creation to futility instead of fruitfulness? It was God himself who knew what he was already planning to do. And that the creation, Paul says, will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So notice, creation is waiting for humans to reach their destiny. And they're going to reach it in Jesus Christ. Right? To be revealed as sons of God. To, be, to have that glorious freedom of the children of God. Everything that God has given to us in Christ, when it's all fulfilled, when Jesus returns, that's when creation is going to actually fulfill its own destiny. So the new creation is not so much a matter of all new things, but all things new, right? Creation itself transformed at the resurrection. This is heavy stuff, but it's brilliant because it gives us hope that there's meaning to this sometimes empty life. There's a new creation to come. Creation's futility transformed to fruitfulness. The sin of humans led to the curse on creations. The redemption of humans leads to the blessing of all creation. Praise the Lord. That last verse of this passage here, right, talks about groaning of creation. Wow. The groaning of creation. It's says here, the creation, we know, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The thing about childbirth, about labor pains, and I'm not speaking from experience here, only from observation. Right? So I can't speak to this like any mother here could speak to this. But the thing about childbirth is it's incredibly painful. Right, but it's a it's an interesting kind of pain because it is hopeful groaning. Right, the groans of a woman in labour, the moans of a woman in labour, are hopeful groans. Why? Because there's a baby coming. It's worth going through that pain. Right, it's worth it because of the baby that's coming. I was, I was blessed to be present at the birth of all our four children. And uh, it's just wonderful thing. It's my wife, of course, who went through the pain. But what an incredible blessing. It's hopeful groans. The longing of creation, Paul says, is like that. It's, in other words, creation's groaning, the creation, the suffering. And when it says creation, I don't just mean nature, I mean all, the, all humans, everything that God made is suffering like it shouldn't be 
and yet there's a kind of hope in it because there's something better to come that God has planned even for creation itself. And so it looks to something greater. Praise the Lord. Let's read verse 23 to 25. The longing of those who have the Spirit. Not only the creation, but we ourselves have the, who have the first fruits of, of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen isn't hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience, right? We've just heard about the groaning of creation, the hopeful groans, the longing of creation that anticipates something world and creation transforming when believers find their destiny at the, at the, in the new creation, in the resurrection. And this is then reflected in us personally. We ourselves, Paul says, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits uh, was the first part of the harvest when you, in those days, when you, when you reap the harvest of anything, right? Uh, your, your fruit trees, your harvest, uh, you set aside the very first of everything that you harvested and you gave that to God as an offering. So the first fruits signifies the very first and the best of what was there. And so we, Paul says, have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that those who have the Spirit, right, have the Spirit, have the first experience of the resurrection life to come. We experience it somehow, even now. And But it says, interestingly, we got the Spirit. What's the result of that? We groan within. We groan within. The Holy Spirit helps believers go through suffering to glory. Now, And we know that all of creation suffers from futility and emptiness. But for believers, there is both a unique suffering and powerful unique help. There's both unique suffering and powerful unique help. Let's talk about suffering here. The Holy Spirit gives us a holy frustration and a holy dissatisfaction. The whole of humanity knows that things aren't like they ought to be. And if they do think that things are exactly as they, you know, except for people who are, of course, in fatalists who think, well, that it's just, or nihilists think there's no meaning, no purpose, no anything, and they lost in despair. But even then, that's a recognition that, some, that things aren't like they should be. The Holy Spirit gives us a holy frustration and a holy dissatisfaction to be asking is to know that this is not how it should be. And not only not how this is not how it should be, he gives us insight into the problem of the world. That's what Romans 1 to 8 has been doing, showing us, inspired by the Spirit, what the, what the world problem is. The world problem is a problem of evil, the problem of sin, the problem of selfishness that is conquered through Christ and through the Spirit. We know that the world is not as it should be, and so we groan, not just sharing in the pain of the creation around us and everybody else around us, who's, but in a special kind of way, we get God's heart for the world and we start to, we think we know what you could be experiencing if you knew the Lord. 
And so we groan. But it is a hopeful groaning, just like the groaning of creation. It's a groaning and a pain that we share that gives us hope. In the midst of pain and suffering, the Holy Spirit gives us a longing for adoption and redemption of our bodies. He gives us knowledge that we're not, we are not as we will be. Our groaning is hopeful. It's a sign of better things to come. This inner longing and groaning is a longing for the resurrection body, for the completion of who God made us to be, as Paul says in Philippians. You know, he just wants... And in, in Second Corinthians, he just waiting for that resurrection body, waiting, wanting to be with the Lord, right? You know, living in this body, it's it's going to be raised from the dead. It's not, the body's not a bad thing. God made us embodied, and that's going to how we're going to live eternity in in bodies. But listen, in, in living in this world, in this age. Corrupted as it is, is like shivering in a cold, wet tent all night, waiting for the sun to come up, right? Because there's something better to come. We're longing for the resurrection and the completion of who God made us to be. And the Spirit gives us hope to be adopted as sons and daughters, to be raised from the dead. This is the hope of salvation. In verse 15, we read last week that we received the Spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit. In verse 23, we're waiting for the adoption, right, as sons. Those, right now we have the spirit of adoption, that is, we experience through the Holy Spirit the reality of, of being children of God, of being given of, of, of resurrection life already. Somehow we experience it in all sorts of wonderful ways, and yet it's still not complete because the actual adoption is yet to come when Jesus returns and we rise from the dead, the redemption of not only of our soul, if you like, or our spirit, but of our bodies as well. In, earlier in Romans, Paul has said, he talked about even now experiencing resurrection power. He says, we were buried with him in, by baptism and death into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Listen, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, has his glorified body. He has been, you know, and he's living the resurrection life. We experience that now as newness of life. But it's a promise of complete resurrection to come. So Paul says, so you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our hope is itself a sign of better things to come. So how do we explain to the world our suffering and how do we explain hope? Wait, we explain suffering as a result of evil in the world. How do we explain hope? We explain hope as a result of Christ's resurrection as, as a result of Christ of the incarnation and the death and resurrection of Jesus all that and, and the plan of God for, for the world he is the God of endurance and, and encouragement he gives us the spirit gives us patience and endurance in Romans 15 5 he says he calls God Paul calls him the God of endurance and encouragement that's who he is 
Praise the Lord. He's a God of endurance and encouragement. That's his nature. That's what he does. He helps us endure by the Holy Spirit and he gives us encouragement. Let's read verse 26 to verse 27. The longing of the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray. Sorry, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groans. By the way, if you're reading the ESV, I've slightly edited this from we normally use the ESV. I've edited a little bit to be more accurate, I think. Verse 27, he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we've talked about the groans, the hopeful groans of creation. We talked about our hopeful groaning and longing as we have the Spirit. Now we discover there's a third element to this. The Spirit himself is helping us in our weakness. You know, when you suffer, the most, it's, well, let me say this again. When you suffer, we've got to pray. In fact, we usually do pray when we suffer. It improves our prayer life remarkably, right? But even our prayers are infused with weakness. Even our prayers, as important as they are, don't do everything that they should do because we don't know what to pray. They're limited by our ignorance. They're limited by our limitations, our human limitations. So the hope that we have in the midst of suffering is that beyond our prayers, the Spirit himself is praying for us. I'm going to get excited about that. I'm sorry, but I am. Because it's beyond myself, right? I've got to pray when I'm suffering. But beyond my prayers, he intercedes for us. Now, in some of your Bibles, it'll be saying like with, with groans too deep for words or something like that. Literally in the Greek here, with unspoken groans or unvoiced groans. What does that even mean? The some people think that, uh, you know, this is uh, speaking in tongues, but I, I don't think so that not not uh, because when paul describes speaking in tongues he talks about this as a language that's spoken so that's not what this is referring to in this text some people think it's it's us who groan in prayer and when we are groaning in prayer as we're suffering that this is the spirit groaning through us well i suppose it's possible but it doesn't seem to be what the point is here the point is beyond our prayers if you like the Spirit himself is groaning and longing and with unvoiced groans, unspoken groans. Now, interesting thing, he helps us in our weakness. Weakness is a, a thing, an issue, a theme in Romans, weakness and strength. In Romans, weakness comes from unbelief. It comes from a loss of eschatological hope, loss of hope for the future. Strength in Romans is having that hope and faith in the Lord. For example, in Romans uh, 1, 11 and 12, Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. What does that mean? Well, that's what verse 12 says. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. What's going to give them strength? It's faith, right? In Romans 4, 
19 to 21, talking about Abraham, says this, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of the womb of Sarah. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham did not weaken in faith. He hung on to the promises of God. He grew strong in his faith and his hope. Romans 5, we saw this again. We already read this, the connection of hope and strength. In Romans 5, 6, it says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The weakness there is not so much moral inability as, low, as a complete absence of hope. In our weakness and suffering, we can pray. But even our prayers are limited and the Spirit prays for us. The Spirit shares our pain and our longing and he prays for us. Praise the Lord. In Romans 8, 34, it's not just the Spirit who's praying for us, Jesus himself, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So the Spirit and the Son are at the, at, in the presence of the Father praying for us. Now, what, what about this unspoken groans business? Well, Paul explains this. How could even, if the Spirit is praying un, unvoiced groans, how does God even answer that? Because he says, well, God who, the, remember, we just read that. He who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit. God reads the Spirit's mind, right? He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in the Holy Spirit's mind. He searches that. He, he, re, he knows that because the Spirit is interceding for the saints according to the will of God. Even beyond, when you're beyond your own resources, even your own resources of prayer, you know that the Spirit is groaning with you and it's hopeful groaning. It's longing and it's praying for you. He is praying for you and of course Jesus is praying for you. The last three verses then, verse 28 to verse 30. Our glorious destiny to be like Jesus. We know that for those who love God, he works all. And we know that for those who love God, he works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Very famous passage. What's it all about? It's really explaining something more about how we go from suffering to glory, how we get through this world of suffering to the, to the future adoption and glorification resurrection. Right? Back earlier, he said, we don't know what to pray, right? And he said, we know that the whole cre creation has been groaning in childbirth until now. What also we do we know? We know this. That he is working, God is working all this suffering together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You know, when I was a young Christian, someone gave me a book to read. It's all about how suffering purifies us and refines us and makes us better and, and, and more better character, more holy. I, I, I didn't understand the book at all. I just couldn't, I couldn't read it. It was awful because I hadn't suffered, right? You know, if you're a believer who haven't suffered yet, you just haven't lived long enough, right? I mean, it's basically it's going to happen at some point 
I'm not predicting it. It's just that's the way life is. It's uh, and so it didn't make sense to me when I really hadn't suffered all that much. Maybe I, you know, I'd been dumped by a girlfriend or something. That was the worst thing that ever happened to me, right? It was not, it, and so it wasn't as meaningful as those little things were, not compared to what we've gone through in the years since then. And so, listen, it means something to me now. Some translations will say all things work. Others say he works all things. I prefer the second translation. I think it's more in line with what the text is on about. God is working all things, including all bad things, together for good. But exactly how does this work? How does he work it for good? That's what the verses 29 to 30 explain. It's not a sudden dip into, you know, a, a sort of theological debate about it's, it's actually telling us how we get through suffering to glory. It says this, because it starts with verse 29, starts with four. How do you explain how God works all things together for good for those who love him according to his, perp- called according to his purpose? For, well, let's explain. He's doing it to conform us to the image of his son. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Wow. What's predestination here about then? Predestination is God's definite plan for your destiny. Your plan for your destiny to make you like Jesus. That's what it is. It's, this is not a passage talking about how God selects some and not others to be saved. This is a plan talking about God's plan for his people to make them like Jesus in character and in resurrection life and body. That's his plan. It's a good plan. And even through the suffering of this life, he's making us more like Jesus so that at the end when he returns, as John says, we shall be like him right? This is so, so important. He works all things together for good to conform us to the image of his son so that Jesus will be the firstborn among many brothers to make us like Jesus in character and destiny. Not that we ever get to be gods, but we share in the divine life and inheritance of the son of God somehow. So what is predestination? It is that God has settled the destiny of believers, those who have the spirit, that they should be conformed to the image of Jesus, just as God made humans in the image of his, in his own image, and Jesus is the image of God. So he's going to make us in the image of his son. That's the new creation. We will fulfill that for which we were created. We will share his glory. How does he do that? That's the last verse of our passage. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Praise the Lord. That's the good news this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, what a wonderful God you are. Despite all the suffering that we've going through or have gone through you are full of grace and goodness you have a plan to make us into the image of your son who is the image of God 
to fulfill our destiny. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've sent us the Spirit to help us get from here to there as he shares this life, this, this longing, as he prays for us when we're beyond ourselves, as he gives us both a holy hope and a holy frustration, as Lord, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Father, in Jesus' name, help give us today, renew in us the hope that we have to fulfill our very creation destiny, to be made in the image of God, to be adopted as sons and daughters of God, to be glorified with him when the Lord returns. We thank you in Jesus' name that this big picture can give us hope even in the small things of life. We thank you in Jesus' name. I pray for your hope to rise in the, in the minds and the hearts and the lives of every believer here today. And those, if there's anyone who's not yet a believer, Lord, I pray that they would put their trust in Jesus today and receive his hope for their lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give John a hand for just so uh, faithfully teaching us and leading us right now. If there's something that's, uh, that's holding you back from, from the glory or the, the peace that, that Jesus brings, um, I love that line that John said about we have a God who is the God of encouragement and endurance. So just take a moment to pray that whatever's in your way, um, that he can give you the hope and the strength to get through that, whether it's you know, a relationship or a work issue, a school issue. He can get you through it. He can carry you through it, all the suffering. So take a moment to talk to Jesus, and we will begin to worship shortly.
Church, have a great week. Go Cowboys.